So today we're going to do something a little different. I'm not going to preach today. I had a message all prepared and we were continuing our study on Revelations 20. And I hope that you appreciate the fact that we're studying Revelations. There's a blessing promised with that. But um, yesterday we hosted a live stream of the um, Tipping Point Prophecy Conference here. And a few of you came. I know others were busy. I understand that. But I'll tell you what, it was such a powerful day. It was so powerful. The speakers were amazing. Some maybe watched it at home, I'm not sure. Um, but there were 4,000 or so people or, or, uh, that streamed it yesterday. And there probably was oh, a big church, maybe a 1,000 people or so in the, in the building. But it was so good that, uh, and, I, I, and I, wasn't, I didn't know they were going to post it, but they posted it this morning already online. And so what I've done is I've, I really want to share with you Jimmy Evans' opening message. And he's titled it The Countdown to Rosh Hashanah. And it is extremely powerful. And so I've, there's notes in the back. If you don't have notes, go grab a set. I've sat and listened to it again this morning, and I wrote the notes down on it the best I could. So we're going to listen to Jimmy Evans present um, Rosh Hashanah, what it is, the Jewish festivals. And he talks about the seven feasts, the four in the spring and the three in the fall, and how the prophetic they are and how God's faithful to fulfill all of them. He's fulfilled four in the spring and the three in the, in the fall are yet to be fulfilled. And um, one of them is the rapture, the other is the second coming, and then the third is eternity, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. So we're going to listen to Jimmy present today, and it's extremely powerful. So um, it's about 50 minutes, I believe. So why don't we just uh, settle in and uh, get ready to learn? We're going to have a great day today uh, together. And um, I want to talk in this session. This session is called Countdown to Rosh Hashanah. Now, we planned this conference at this time of year on purpose because next week begins Rosh Hashanah. And I'm going to talk to you about the Feast of Israel in this message. And I'm going to tell you why I believe this could be the year when Jesus returns. Now, Rosh Hashanah begins next Sunday. It begins next Sunday at sundown. Now, Jewish days are not sunup to sunup. Jewish days are sundown to sundown. So on a Jewish day, it starts at 6 p.m. And so next Sunday, the 25th of September at 6 p.m., begins Rosh Hashanah. However, you have to subtract eight hours uh, because uh, Israel is eight hours ahead of us. So when it's 6 o'clock here, it's, t- it's 10 a.m. for us, but it's 6 o'clock there. So you re- subtract eight hours. It means at 10 a.m., Sunday the 25th, Rosh Hashanah should begin here. God doesn't go off Texas time. He goes off Israel time. If you have a problem with that, just take it up with the Lord someday when we get to heaven. So so I, I always go by Israel time. So on Sunday the 25th at 10 a.m., that's when Rosh Hashanah begins. And I believe some year Jesus will turn return during Rosh Hashanah. And I'm going to talk about that in this message. Now, what I don't want to do in this message, because I do believe because of the feasts of Israel, I believe that the feasts tell us the future in advance. And I believe the feasts tell us that the Feast of Trumpets is connected to the, the, the rapture of the church. Now, Jesus can come at any time. The, the right attitude is this. We're ready for Jesus to come at any time. Because he can come at any time. That's the doctrine of imminency. But we have a special emphasis of looking for his return during Rosh Hashanah. Because what I don't want, because Rosh Hashanah is two days long. What I don't want is, you know, to engender kind of an attitude in some people. I know not you, but in some people that they just, for two days a year, they repent and get it right. And then after that, they go back to selling drugs. You know, I don't want that. So we're going to talk about this. Uh, Leviticus 23, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord 
which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feast. Well, the word feast is the word moed in the Hebrew, and it means appointed festival. It just means an appointed time. And the word convocation means a public meeting or a gathering. So these are gatherings, and there are seven feasts that God gave Israel to keep. Okay, this was 3,500 years ago that Israel began to, to practice the feast or keep the feast. And they tell us the future in advance. We know that. They tell us the future in advance. And there were four spring feasts that have already been fulfilled at the first coming of Jesus. And there are three fall feasts that are about to be fulfilled at the second coming of Jesus. And so we're going to show you these here on the screen. But here are the seven feasts. The, fir- the four spring feasts were, first of all, Passover. And Jesus was crucified during the feast of Passover. Okay. While male lambs were being sacrificed in remembrance of the night the death angel passed over in Egypt, the original Passover. John one twenty nine says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So every year when the Jews were killing their spotless male lambs and taking that uh, blood and wiping it on the doorpost of the house so death would pass over. That is all talking about Jesus. And Jesus' death causes, his death causes death to pass over us and we get life instead. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. The second feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a seven-day feast. And they Israel had to get rid of all leaven out of their homes. Now, leaven represents sin. And seven is the number of perfection. Why was the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days long? Because Jesus perfectly removed sin from the human race. He completed the task through his death on the cross. Sin through his blood, through people who put faith in him. Sin has been perfectly removed from the human race. This is Matthew 26. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I think sometimes we kind of pass over that when we read this. On the first day of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you? To eat the feast of Passover. And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Now the bread that they used was matzah. Okay. This, this was a, an ugly type of a bread. And I think we have a picture of it here. The matzah bread. Yeah. It's right there. This is the, in Matthew 26, 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. That's what he was breaking at Passover. And that in the old Testament for thousands of years, they were eating that bread that represented the burial of Jesus. Jesus was buried during the feast of unleavened bread and his body was broken and pierced. You see the piercings in there and burned. Jesus was tortured. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread represents the burial of Jesus and sin being perfectly removed from the human race. Number three feast was first fruits. Jesus was resurrected on the Feast of First Fruits. And the priest, during the Feast of First Fruits, he would go out and wave the first fruits of the barley harvest. And this is what 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says. Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who are fallen asleep. And so very soon, the dead will be raised, and those of us who are still alive are going to be raptured up to be with Jesus. And this speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Fifty days after first fruits came Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50. 50 in the, the Hebrews is the year of Jubilee. It's the, everybody goes free. You get your inheritance back. It is a wonderful number. That's when Pentecost fell. And on the day of Pentecost, the priest would take two loaves and go out and wave them before God. That represented Jews and Gentiles coming into the fullness of God through the Holy Spirit. 
And that's the day the church was birthed. And so the first four feasts have all been literally fulfilled. Now we, because of history, you know, the Jews couldn't do this because for the thousands of years they were keeping the feasts in the Old Testament. All they knew is they were killing lambs and eating unleavened bread and waving barley and all that kind of stuff. They didn't know what it meant. But because we have history to draw from, we can look back and see that those feasts were all speaking of the first advent of Jesus. Okay, So all of the feasts were fulfilled literally in order to the day, and they were massive world-changing events. So if the first four feasts were fulfilled in that way, we know the next three feasts are going to be filled the same way too. They're going to be literally, they're not figurative, they're literal, in order to the day. And the Feast of Trumpets, whatever the Feast of Trumpets represents, is going to be a massive world-changing thing. The Day of Atonement and Tabernacle. Let's talk about that in just a minute. The Feast of Trumpets, which I believe represents the rapture, is on the first day of the seventh month. It was a new moon. It was based on them sighting a new moon. It's two days long. And this is very important. It's, it's a two-day-long feast. Okay. After that, ten, and that began the Days of Awe. Uh, and that's, that's important. Also the days of affliction and the days of dread. From the Feast of Trumpets, the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets, until the Day of Atonement, they counted ten days. And they were the days of awe, dread, and affliction. And so the Day of Atonement, which I believe is the second coming, is the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. And the Day of Atonement is a day where the, the, the blood of the animal was taken into the Holy of Holies, People who were repentant had their sins forgiven. People who were unrepentant had their sins judged. And I believe this represents the second coming where Jesus will come back and those who are repentant will be saved. A third of Israel will be saved on the day that Jesus comes back. But Jesus is also going to judge the nations on that same day. Now, we will already have been with Jesus for seven years at that time. And we will be returning with him. And that's uh, Revelation 19 and Zechariah 14. The last feast is the Feast of Tabernacles. It was on the 15th day. It began on the 15th day of the seventh month. It was the seventh seventh feast. It was on the seventh month, and it lasted for seven days. Seven, 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 the number of perfection. This is eternity with God. This is when we go into eternity with God. So there are the seven feasts. Let me show you a chart here of the ten days. Now, everything is significant. When you look at the feast, everything you're looking at is significant. So trumpets begins at the top of the chart there. Trumpets begins, and you count off ten days. But if you go to the bottom there and you look at how those 10 days are broken out, on the left, the Feast of Trumpets takes up two days. That's not a part of the tribulation. Trumpets is before the tribulation. Then the Day of Atonement is after, immediately after the tribulation. How many days are left? Seven. And I believe that that very well could represent the seven-year tribulation. So everything is significant in this. But I want to talk now about the Feast of Trumpets. Just take the Feast of Trumpets out. God gave Israel seven feasts that tell the future in advance. We absolutely know that is the truth. Four feasts have been fulfilled. Three feasts are about to be fulfilled. And the next one to be fulfilled, they have to be fulfilled in order, and they have to be literal. A literal fulfillment. And whatever happens has to change the world. The death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the day of Pentecost change the world. The next three feasts are going to be world-changing events, the Feast of Trumpets. So let me tell you why I believe that the rapture will occur during the Feast of Trumpets. Again, I want to say we should always be ready for the return of Jesus, Okay, not just two days out of the year. But the feasts are telling us something. They're a dress rehearsal. Every time Israel was keeping the feast to this day, it is a dress rehearsal of what's about to happen. First of all, Scripture links the rapture with trumpets. First Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. 
with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet of God there. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. Now, some people will say, well, those trumpets there, those are the trumpet judgments in the book of Revelation. No, they're not. On the on, During the Feast of Trumpets, the Jews blow the shofar 100 times. They blow it nine times, 11 blasts in a row, which leaves one blast. And the last blast is the longest, loudest blast, and they call that the last trumpet. It's during the Feast of Trumpets. The second thing, and there's there's a lot of other names that the Jews have for the Feast of Trumpets. I don't want to talk about these because, you know, again, they have been keeping the feast for 3,500 years. And they have rabbinic, rabbinic tradition and oral tradition. And you say, we're going to have Thanksgiving. And some people say, well, that's Turkey Day or that's Pilgrim's Day. And we have different words for it. Well, they have different names for uh, the Feast of Trumpets. One is Rosh Hashanah is called the head of the year. Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. Their new year, their civil new year begins next Sunday. The Jewish, it'll be the year 5783. And this is the day when the Jews believe that God created the world. And also it's the birthday of Adam when God created Adam. So literally Rosh Hashanah is happy birthday to the world or happy birthday to Adam. In other words, it's a new beginning. And when the rapture happens, it'll be a new beginning for us. Another uh, word or another term for trumpets is Yom Teruah, which means blowing the day of the awakening blast. This is what this means. This is what the Jews believe. They believe that the that trumpets is associated with the resurrection of the dead. This is First Thessalonians 4. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so the, the dead are going to be raised. This is First Corinthians I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so there's going to be a resurrection associated with trumpets. The the next term that the Jews have is Yom Hadin. And it means the day of judgment. The trumpets means judgment. This is Revelation 22. This is Jesus. Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. I'm going to give to every man according to his work. Second Corinthians 5 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We are saved by grace. We are judged according to our works. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment of punishments. And so we don't have to be afraid of Jesus returning. It's a judgment of rewards. But I'll say this. Jesus is not a socialist. And if there are any socialists in the audience, I pray you were offended by that. And, but God is not a socialist. So he's going to give, there will be some people that are not rich at all here in this life. They will be filthy rich in heaven. Because when God judges their works, Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to the least of these, you will not lose your reward. You don't have to go climb Mount Everest to get God's attention. Every time you do the kindest little thing, he sees it and he's going to reward it someday. And so, but the Jews believe 
The Jews believe that when the trumpet, the feast of trumpets is associated with judgment. And that's what the Bible says. Yom Hazikron, which means the day of remembrance. This is what the Jews also call trumpets. Luke 17, I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. This is a selective rapture. It's the day of remembrance. On the When the rapture happens, Jesus is going to remember those who have given their life to him. And he's going to come. There will be two people in one bed. And one person will be taken. The other person will be left. It's selective. It doesn't matter who you're married to. It doesn't matter who your friends are. None of that matters. The only thing that matters in the rapture is do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who you know or it doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you know if you don't know Jesus. So the other thing, and that word, by the way, when Jesus said one will be taken, the other left, the word taken there is the word paralambano in the Greek, and it means to receive unto yourself. It means I'm going to come and receive you to myself. Now remember that because this is another term that the another belief that the Jews have about trumpets is it's the wedding day of the Messiah. They believe that Jesus is going, or that they believe the Messiah is going to come and be married on that day. John 14, Jesus said to the disciples, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. By the way, the word receive in John 14 is the word paralambano. Now this is wedding talk. This is Jewish wedding talk. Now, in, in the Western mind, when we read this scripture, as I'm going to my father's house, there are many mansions. Well, when a Jewish groom was going to marry the bride, he came from his father's house with a bride's price. He came to the bride's house and he offered the price to her parents. They had to receive the price then and they became legally betrothed. They actually drank a glass of wine together and the bride didn't have to drink the wine. She didn't have to choose him if she didn't want to. But if they drank the glass of wine together, that legally betrothed them in marriage. And the groom would then say to the bride, I will not drink of the fruit of this cup again until I drink it with you in my father's house. That's what Jesus said to the disciples at the Last Supper. Then the groom would go back to his father's house for about a year, build a place for the, he and his bride. His father had to approve it. He couldn't go back and get his bride till his father approved it. The father then would allow him to go back and get the bride, typically at midnight. This is kind of a cruel thing when you think of it. That no cold cream, no curlers, no flannel nightgowns. She literally, the bride, the bride and all of her bridal party, they had to sleep in their bridal gowns with all their makeup on and everything, their hair all done up and everything. And, and they had to have their lamp trimmed and ready to go at any time because at any time the groom could come down the street with his, with his party and they would shout and blow trumpets, cause a stir. Everybody woke up, everybody in the neighborhood. And then he would take her back to his father's house for seven days. And they would consummate their marriage. So Jesus is saying to the disciples here, I'm going away to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And as surely as I go to prepare a place for you, in my father's house are many mansions. And see, if you know Jesus, you've got a mansion happening right now. It took a Jewish groom about a year. It's taken Jesus 2,000 years. I think it's going to be pretty special. You know, you see these fixer-upper shows on TV and stuff. And they have a budget, and they'll have a $300,000 house. And they say, we have a $70,000 budget to fix it up. He doesn't have a budget. He has the resources of the universe 
the floors, the walls, there won't be a bathroom, but the floor, the floors, the walls will be the most exquisite things that you can think of. And when you walk in there, here's what you're going to say. I'm home. For the first time in my life, I'm at home. And a trillion, 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 trillion years from then, you will still be in that same place. There won't be any storage units in heaven. There won't be any U-Hauls in heaven. That is home forever. Neither moth nor rust. Another saying that the Jews have about the Feast of Trumpets is the day that no one knows or the hidden day. Uh, Mark 13, of, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, only the father. Again, that's talking about a Jewish wedding. Only the father knows the time that he is going to send Jesus to come back for his bride. But my friend, Pastor Mark Bilson, some of you have seen Mark on the Tipping Point show. And Mark is a pastor in Washington. He's also a Jew. And he says this, when Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour of my return, he was effectively saying, I'm coming during the Feast of Trumpets. Because the Jews refer to it as the day that no one knows, or the hidden day. Now, if I told you, let me say, because I'm not dogmatic about this, I have my beliefs, and I'm trying to you know, explain to you my beliefs here. But if I told you that Jesus was coming this year during the Feast of Trumpets, you still don't know the day or the hour. It's a two-day feast. Jesus said we wouldn't know the day or the hour. He didn't say we wouldn't know the feast. He also didn't say we wouldn't know the season. And so again, always be ready for the coming of Jesus. But I believe that there is a reason for us to believe that there is a, that there's an association here. The Jews believe that the feast of trumpets is when Messiah will come. Now they believe he's coming the first time. They don't believe he's coming again. They believe that Feast of Trumpets is when Messiah will come. And also, Feast of Trumpets was the ingathering of the Jews from the harvest. It happens in the fall of the year, so when the trumpets would blow and the Feast of Trumpets started, all the Jews would come in from the harvest. Well, Pentecost started 2,000 years ago, and on the day of Pentecost, thousands of people were added to the church. And since the day of one of the greatest evangelists in the world is sitting right here, Pastor Ed Young. And no telling how many people have been saved through this man's ministry right here and through this church. And, but we have been, we have been harvesting souls for 2,000 years and the day is coming very soon when the trumpet will blow and we're going to be called out of the harvest. And 144,000 Jews and two witnesses in Jerusalem are going to take our place and they're going to do a great job at it. So I, I believe the symbolism and I'm trying to explain to you here the seven feasts, the next feast that's going to happen is going to be the feast of trumpets. Okay. Whatever it represents, And it's going to be a world-changing event. Do you think that when a billion people instantly disappear, that would change the world? I think that's a pretty big deal. You know, several million leave, that's okay, we'll let them go, depending on who they are. But there'll be around a billion people raptured. Okay, so now I want to talk about why I believe this could be the year when Jesus returns. And uh, have you noticed how quickly things are happening? I mean, really and truly, I mean, it's just, you, you think about, think about 10 years ago and then five years ago, even before COVID, it's just things. And that's what happens with birth pains. I hear, I don't know personally, but with birth pain, they get harder and closer together. And it just seems to me as though the birth pains are very hard and close together right now. The things that are happening in the world. Here's four signs that I believe that Jesus returned 
is imminent. And the number one is the level of delusion of our society. Not deception, but delusion. This is 2 Thessalonians 2. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. Let me tell you the difference between deception and delusion. Deception occurs because we're ignorant or because we have wrong information or because the devil deceives us. Delusion comes from God. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Romans 1 says God gave them over to a depraved mind. Here's one of the worst judgments that can ever happen to a person. Because they reject the word and they will not receive the word, God just reaches over into their brain and flips a switch. And now you can't even know the truth. You're not deceived. You're deluded. You're beyond redemption at that point. And so this is this is where I believe that we are right now. And I want you just to document this. I want you to watch this clip right here from Tucker Carlson. In recent weeks, we've learned a lot about what is actually happening inside children's hospitals around the country. Most people trust children's hospitals implicitly. They just didn't know the details. But thanks to the Internet, we now do. And it turns out some of these hospitals are performing horrifying experiments on children, elective hysterectomies on minors, physical and chemical castration, things you think would be crimes, but that apparently aren't and that are going on in children's hospitals in the United States. And now we're learning more. The journalist Chris Rufo has just broken a story about the Children's Hospital of Chicago and local school administrators promoting, quote, kink, BDSM, and trans-friendly sex toys for kids. Hard to believe that's true, but Chris Rufo has that story for us now. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Is This does sound like something you made up, but you didn't. Uh, It does, and unfortunately, it's actually true. And so what the situation is, is that the Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, the largest children's hospital in the state of Illinois, partnered with at least four public school districts uh, promoting radical gender theory as part of their teacher and administrator training programs. Uh, They're promoting the idea that gender is not binary, that the idea that man and woman exist is a a, a false binary. Uh, And they're doing everything, including promoting trans-friendly sex toys. They're promoting a uh, LGBTQ-friendly sex shop for teens. Uh, These are really bizarre items that they're telling middle school and high school teachers to be promoting, uh, including uh, uh, dildos, including artificial penis pumps, uh, all kinds of menageries of horror uh, that are now being mainlined from the largest children's hospital uh, into the K-12 public school system. Well, and I know that's a little bit graphic there, but um, that's delusional. The people who do that are delusional. And there's been a lot of things that have been happening during my adult life that I've noticed, you know, about uh, being end time signs. The worst is the sexualization of children. And our children now that go to public schools, and there's some good public schools, there's some good public school teachers, but our children that are now going to public schools, they're being exposed to these radical beliefs, and they're now trying to change, in some school districts around America, change the sex of a child without telling the parent. It's shocking. Um, You know, pedophiles, uh, perverts who have sex with children, there's a major effort now to change calling them pedophiles to minor attracted persons. This is a major push. 
and LGBTQ, and you know, one day they'll have the whole alphabet covered, I'm sure. They want to add to that MAP, minor attracted persons. And so if you're a pedophile, there's nothing, there's no shame. You were born that way, there's no shame. And along with the push to change their designation to minor attracted persons, there's a push to lower the consensual age of sex or to eliminate it altogether because children are sexual and they should be learning sex from adults and not from other children. This is, this is their belief. And again, it is delusional. And here's what I believe. I believe this is the world of the Antichrist. Imagine, imagine next week, if, if the rapture happens next week and the church disappears, the world will totally accept the Antichrist. This is the world. We have his spirit, the spirit of anarchy. Anarchy today, this defund the police stuff, it is so idiotic, it is beyond belief. You know, Romans 1 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. If you don't want police in your neighborhood, you are a fool. And I'm not saying that the Bible said that. I'm just repeating what the Bible said. It, that's not Jimmy, that's Jesus. How foolish. And uh, some of these people up in Portland that were for defund the police, when they got in trouble, they called the police. It's crazy. That's called anarchy. The One of the names for the Antichrist is the lawless one. He's a rebel. He's an anarchist. Rejection of God and his word. Um, Christian school administrator who received death threats and threats to kill his family and burn his house down because he believes in enforcing biblical morality at his Christian school and enforcing the policy they've had since 1970. He reiterated his policy again this year and he has death threats and threats to kill his family and burn his house down only because in a Christian school he wants to enforce that morality there. Uh, I told you on the Tipping Point show, 80-year-old woman permanently banned from the YMCA for standing up to a trans man in a locker room. And this dude, he's a dude, he's not a woman, he's a total dude. Dressed in a woman's swimsuit, that's a pervert. You got this dude pervert in a woman's bathroom, and this woman is undressed, and these young girls are undressing, and and she confronts him. And she said, you're a man. And he said, no, I'm not. They permanently banned her from the YMCA and accepted this guy in there. And all kinds of stuff keep happening like that. That is the, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. We have the morality of the Antichrist, um, abortion on demand. You know, when the Supreme Court did the right thing and overturned Roe versus Wade, uh, back in the summer. There were protesters out in front of the Supreme Court and one of the protesters had a t-shirt on and the t-shirt said, abortion is love. What's that? That's just, that's delusional. They're, they're delusional. Uh, transsexualism, uh, and they have gender affirming care. This is the new phrase they use. They always find some phrase, you know, they want to use. Transsexualism, uh, gender affirming care. Let me tell you what gender affirming care is. Let me define that for you just so you know. You go to the doctor. The doctor says, would you undress please? You take your clothes off. They say, I want to affirm you're a man. Put your clothes back on. You're a woman. Put your clothes back on. That's that's what gender affirming care. Just affirm my gender. But what they mean by gender affirming care is tell me what you think you are, and we'll affirm it. Anything. Now listen, listen to how crazy this is. There's now people who think they're cats in public schools. 
think they're showing up at school? So I went into the studio Tuesday to do the Tipping Point show, and I was going to read this article about this girl in Australia that thinks she's a cat, showed up to school, thinks she's a cat, and they're, they're affirming it. They're letting her get away. You know, we had a word for that when I was a kid. It was called crazy. It is crazy. You're delusional. You know, we, you don't put up with it. And, and so I show up in the studio and I have this article in one of our, you know, Maggie, one of our assistants there. She said, Jimmy, that's going on all over America. And I said, really? She said, yeah, she had all the articles there on her phone there and they want, want to put litter boxes. In schools, you need to get that picture out of your head. <laughs> litter boxes. And so I feel sorry for these kids because they're being bombarded with all this nonsense from all the woke crowd. They're being bombarded in the, in the public, uh, on social media and stuff like that. And so I'm saying pansexualism, I was with a friend in Florida, a pastor there, and he said the new term is not homosexuality or bisexuality, it's pansexuality, which means how many sex I want to be. I'll have sex with whom, whomever I want, whenever I want, however I want, and I'm not even going to define my sexuality. So in other words, it's, it's just moral rebellion, moral anarchy. 39% of gener- Gen Z uh, people, they were born from 1997 to 2012, identify as LGBTQ. 39%. 30% of millennials identify as LGBTQ and they make up a quarter of the population. Christian millennials, those who identify as Christian, are 30% LGBTQ. And so this, this has dramatically affected our culture. Let me give you an idea of this. So in a, in a typical period of time, one in 30,000 women will question their gender. That's, that's a normal uh, ratio. One out of 30,000 women would have some kind of, you know, gender dysphoria or something like that. Today on college campuses, it's one in 20. One out of 20 young women on college campuses are questioning their gender. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure from the LGBTQ group for people to identify in that way. We also have the economy of the Antichrist, which is socialism. That's his economy. World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab. They're globalist. Uh, that's the reason, and this is not a political statement, that, that is the reason that President Biden will not enforce uh, any uh, immigration policy on our southern border is because he doesn't believe in borders. Uh, he's been at the World Economic Forum for 10 years. He's one of the keynote speakers. He's one of the members there. And they want to erase borders. They want to uh, erase nationalism uh, and national sovereignty and things like that and just make the world one big happy place, if you can imagine that. And again, and that's what the Antichrist will do. Again, they're delusion. I want to say the first reason I believe that we could be living at the end is because of the level of delusion. It's, and I showed you that Tucker Carlson clip. It is, it's, it's off the charts, delusional. The second reason is the rise of anti-Semitism and international pressure to divide Jerusalem. And this again is the Biden administration is, there's a tremendous amount of pressure to divide Jerusalem and to create a two-state solution. Zechariah 12. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, thus said the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of a man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will be surely cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. We have to remember, this is happening right before our eyes right now. The pressure to divide Jerusalem. President Biden went to Jerusalem. 
He went to East Jerusalem, would not allow a Jew to be with him. He met with the Palestinians there and openly told them there that he believes that East Jerusalem belongs to them. This will be Armageddon. This is going to create Armageddon. Joel chapter 3, for behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. At the same period of time when I bring back the captives of Judah from around the world, this happened in 1948. During that same period of time, I'm going to enter into a judgment with the nations in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. The Valley of Jehoshaphat is the valley between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. I'm going to enter into judgment with them there because you've scattered my people around the world. I don't like the way you're treating the Jews and you've divided up my land. Israel doesn't just belong to the Jews, it belongs to God. And I told you about a book called Eye to Eye by a man named William Koenig, who's going to be on my Tipping Point show here in just a few weeks. And he has documented that every single time that America has tried to take land away from Israel, we have had a historic natural disaster hit America. In 2005, we forced Israel out of the Gaza Strip. Five days later, Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast. And Jewish rabbis said, that's because you forced us out of our land. And so there's a consequence here. According to an article from the journalist, uh, in America, anti-Semitism has increased 34% in the last year. 2,717 anti-Semitic incidents have been recorded, the highest in recorded history by the Anti-Defamation League. This is an article from Europe. In a December 2018 survey on experiences and perceptions of anti-Semitism in Europe, the European Union's Fundamental Rights Agency found 89% of Jews living in Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Germany, France, Hungary, Italy, the Netherlands, Poland, Spain, Sweden, and the UK feel anti-Semitism has increased in their country over the past decade, while 85% believed it to be a serious problem. Almost half worried about being insulted or harassed in public because they're Jewish, and more than a third feared being physically attacked. According to a recent report by France's National Human Rights Advisory Committee, in 2018, anti-Semitic acts in France increased more than 70%, compared to the previous year. The Europe is becoming extremely, they've all, they've, they've had a history of this, but even more anti-Semitic than ever. So anti-Semitism is rising around the world and pressure. Israel is the only nation in the world that has a standing agenda item in the United Nations Human Rights Council. Every time the United Nations Human Rights Council meets, they talk about human rights abuses by Israel. Not North Korea, not Iran, not Russia, not all these other countries, but Israel's always under the microscope. Anti-Semitism is not a belief, it's a spirit. It is a spirit. When you hate the Jews and when you're against Israel, it it, it tells you everything about a, a person's belief. It is a spirit. And so let me say this. Two days ago, something happened about three miles from here that is a history-changing uh, event. So... There's going to be a rebuilt temple in Israel very soon. The Temple Institute and others in Israel have been preparing to rebuild the temple. Uh, In order to rebuild the temple, and they have all of the things that they need, the, you know, ceremonial dishes and, you know, the menorahs and things like that. They have all of those recreated, all of the priestly garments. They have been training priests down in the Jericho Valley for years. They've been preparing to rebuild the temple, but they need two things to rebuild the temple. They need the Ark of the Covenant. Now, on the Temple Institute's website, they have found the Ark of the Covenant. 
They say that, that priests have seen it. They know where it is. And at the right time, they're going to go get it. But the thing they didn't have was a red heifer. Now, according to Numbers 19, in order for Jews to be ceremonially cleansed, they have to have a red heifer. And they have to slaughter that red heifer and burn it. And its ashes are the only way that you can be ceremonially cleansed. Well, they can't rebuild the temple until they cleanse the temple mount and the priest. So they've been looking, and it has to be a perfect red heifer. Can't have any bad hairs on it. It has to be totally red. Can ever have had worked or, or had a baby or anything. It has to be perfectly red. So they've been trying for years, about 10 years specifically. And they've had a candidate here or there. Uh, but they always end up being non-kosher. The, the, they, the rabbis go through these red heifers with a, with a magnifying glass trying to find one white hair, just one blemished part of skin or something. And so a rancher here in Texas a few years ago started working with uh, the Israelis, with the rabbis, to try to find uh, red heifers in America that will qualify. On Thursday of this week, an airplane left DFW Airport and flew to Tel Aviv, and on that airplane were five perfect red heifers. And I've, I've said to Karen, and I've said to people, when they find the red heifer, Jesus is coming. And so only one of those red heifers has to qualify, and then they'll be able to burn it. By the way, the red heifer, this was a different type of a sacrifice than any other animal. You know, animal sacrifices that took place in the temple were very, very careful. They would remove the entrails and they would take the meat and remove it and then they would offer the sacrifices. The red heifer was slaughtered outside the camp. They took the red heifer outside the camp. They slaughtered it with everything that was in it and then they burned it and those ashes were for purification. Can I tell you that Jesus was slaughtered outside the camp? And red is the the color of redemption. And Jesus' blood redeems us, and they tortured him, and he died the worst death of any human in human history, but through his stripes we're healed. And the chastisement for his peace is upon us. Jesus is the Old Testament red heifer. And so now they've been looking for this red heifer, only one of the red heifers. Now, the red heifer has to be two years and one day old before they can sacrifice it. Okay. And so I've read different accounts of how old these heifers are. But what they said was, this is the year 5782. Next week begins the year 5783 on the Hebrew calendar. They said in the year 5783, those heifers will qualify to be sacrificed. Now remember this, that the temple does not have to be rebuilt until the middle of the tribulation. So the temple does not have to be rebuilt for us to be raptured. There just has to be a rebuilt temple, and they're ready in Israel right now. There has to be a rebuilt temple in order for the the Antichrist to commit the abomination of desolation and to stop the sacrifices there. Let me give you another reason why I believe that Jesus is about to come, and that's the rapid unfolding of the Gog and Magog War. The Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is between Israel, Iran, Russia, Turkey, Syria, uh, some northern African countries, all Muslim except for Russia. And specifically, Ezekiel 38 is addressed to Gog, a man named Gog. I'm against you, Gog. Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tribal. Rosh is Russia. Meshach is Moscow. Tubal is Tobolsk. And so I believe if, if Ezekiel 38 and 39 is going to happen pretty soon, I believe that Gog is Vladimir Putin. Boy, he sure fits the bill of an evil guy. you got to admit that. And he's, he's a bad dude. He's in a bad mood. He just lost the war in Ukraine, it looks like. Or at least got set back and, you know, hopefully he won't fire a nuke at him or something. But, um, Iran, uh, is an evil nation. Not the people. The Iranian people are precious. 
The, the largest revival in the world is happening in Iran right now. And they're getting saved in droves. Jesus, Jesus is appearing to Iranians. And they're, you know, you can keep missionaries out. You can't keep Jesus out. So Jesus is appearing to people and they're getting saved over there. But the, but the Muslim leaders are evil people. And they're vowed to the destruction of Israel. And they're this close now to getting enough enriched uranium to make a bomb if they haven't already gotten there. And Israel has no sense of humor about those kinds of things. They have put $5 billion this year in their budget to bomb Iran. They practiced all through the month of May. All of the divisions of their military had a month-long drill called chariots of fire. They practiced bombing Iran and then defending their borders after they bombed Iran. They have juiced up their F-35 fighters uh, to be able to fly to Iran and back without being refueled. And, uh, and the, the, the rhetoric has been ratchet, ratcheted up. And so I believe that very, I, I personally believe, this is just my personal belief, I believe Israel's going to bomb Iran. I don't think there's any doubt, any doubt about it. Iran's not going to stop building a nuclear, they're not going to stop until they have a nuclear weapon. And uh, Israel's like 600 miles away. And it, all they have to do is reach Israel. And Israel is about 120 miles long. And at one point, it's only nine miles wide. It's a tiny little country. You could put it in Lake Michigan with the room left over. So I believe that the Gog and Magog war and the condition between Iran and Israel is telling us Jesus is coming soon. Here's the last one, and I'll close. It's the prophetic parallel of the days of Noah and Lot. This is Luke 17. As the lightning that flashes out of one part of heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married. Wives, They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He's talking now about the rapture. I want you to, to notice here, it says... Like the day that Noah entered the ark. Noah entered the ark before the rain started. He entered the ark before the judgment. We will not go through the tribulation. We're getting out of here before the tribulation begins. We're not destined for wrath. We're not destined for wrath. It says, like it was on the day, the day, not a day, the day that Lot went out of Sodom. The angels that came to get Lot said to him, we can't judge this place until you're gone and you've safely arrived at your destination. The world will not be judged until the church is out of here and we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want you also to notice here what Jesus is saying. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they planted, they built. So we're living in a world that we're the minority, just like Noah and Lot. We live, we're living in a world of rampant sin and violence. Noah's world was full of violence and sin like ours and immorality. We're, we're living in that world, but there's buying, selling, marrying, giving in marriage, planting, building. See, whenever you talk about those things, uh, buying, selling, marrying, giving in marriage, planting, and building, it talks about there's a future. At the end of the tribulation, over half of humanity is dead and the world is a smoldering ruin. And so there's going to, when Jesus comes, people are still going to be like business as usual. Even though the society is like ours today, you'll be able to, to go on. Here's what I want to say. And that is that if you have a business, there's not going to be a worldwide economic shutdown. We're going to have issues like we've got right now. But there's going to be buying and selling when Jesus returns. There's going to be marrying and giving in marriage. There's going to be planting and building. Jesus is not going to come in some catastrophic period of time. Jesus is going to come 
when it's like it is right now. Just like this. And so in my lifetime, I have never seen a period of time more that I believe that Jesus is going to come than right now. Now, next weekend is Rosh Hashanah. And on Rosh Hashanah, I just live my life the same way I do normally. I just realize it's Rosh Hashanah and I just, I'm ready for Jesus to come. You know, uh, and I want Jesus to come next week really, really bad. (laughs) Really, really bad. And my last message today, I'm going to talk more about, you know, that, that issue. But um, the world is, I'm so thankful that we have a book with a thousand prophecies on it, in it. And 500 of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. And it proves to us that our God controls the future. And our God is the only true God. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your return, and we want our hearts to be ready when you come. Jesus, we want you to come. You can come anytime you want to. But we just keep an eye next week on Rosh Hashanah and just pray, Lord, that our that our hearts will be ready, that you'll cleanse us with your blood. And we thank you, Lord, that we're saved by grace. We thank you that when you come, we'll be taken by your grace. But just prepare our hearts. I just pray for this day, Lord, for this conference. For every speaker, for every person here in this room, but also watching and streaming. Just prepare our hearts to receive and just help us to make any decisions or changes that we need to make to be ready when you come. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you later in the day. God bless you. That's, that was an awesome message I just wanted the church to hear today. The rest of the speakers were just as good. Um, but I think this was really important for us to hear. We are living in unprecedented times. Whether or not Jesus comes back next week or not is not the point. I don't want you to think anybody was setting dates. I think it's okay for us to say that there's a season, and I think I think he proved the fact that the Jewish festivals will be fulfilled, and so I really believe that Jesus' return could very well be on Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets. I believe that. It could be this year, it could be next year, it could be five years. We don't know that. But here's the thing that I think he made important that I think we need to recognize too, is that it really doesn't make any difference when the when the rapture happens for personally for us because we have no idea for what our future is for our own life, right? We've prayed today for various health needs, but you know, we could be in a car accident. I mean, there's lots of things that could happen to us. So, the urgency of the hour is live for Jesus, and and there's no fear here. I mean, there's abundant life when you live for Jesus. Right? I mean, this is a good thing. There's no better way to live than to live for Christ, especially in a broken world. So that's the message we want to get out of this today. Amen? Stand with me and let's sing a song that uh, is going to be really true coming to pass soon.
we just come to you in Jesus name and we're excited about what the future holds God we live in a difficult time but I pray that you go with us today as we go to our homes and our place of businesses this week and God let us go with a sense of appreciation and anticipation of what the days ahead hold and let us also have a a, a burning desire in our heart to share Jesus God that we would live abundantly and above this world because of who you are And I thank you for that, Jesus. And I just pray, God, that if any of us have a doubt in our hearts, and for those that might have been watching online, if you don't, if you're not sure with Jesus, get your heart right with Jesus today. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation so that we can sing the song that we've just sung with joy that soon we're going to see the King. What a blessed day that's going to be. And we look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great day. Be blessed.